This morning, I have something that I want to share with you, uh, that really from my heart. And before I do that, uh, just give you a little backdrop to this um, subject, which I've entitled, Never Too Early, Never Too Late. Never too early and never too late. Now, we first began our journey uh, into becoming an intentional disciple-making church uh, by launching the CEMR campaign. Those of you who have been with us, you, you know what that means. The CEMR stands for Connect, Equip, Mentor, Release. So we actually uh, launched a campaign to take us into our disciple-making process around 23rd of February, 2014. And we run that campaign for two years, trying to bring into everybody's mind that all of us need to get connected, we all need to get equipped, mentored, and released. And we thought after two years that once we get our people connected to God, connected to one another, once we are equipped in the Word and we are mentored to become leaders, and then released you know, into ministry, marketplace, and, the mis and missions, we'll be all right. But at the end of the two years, I never forget this as I was seeking the Lord about our next phase. The Lord spoke to us at the end of the two years campaign with this word. Unless and until we see disciple making happening in the two arenas where we spend most of our time, which the two arenas where we spend most of our time is not the church. How many of you agree? It's not the church where we spend most of our time. Where, we, where do we spend most of our time? It's actually at home and in our workplaces. That's where we spend the bulk of our time. It is not in the church, but it is at home, and it is at our workplaces. And the Lord spoke to us that until and unless we see disciple-making happening at home and at work, we are not yet an intentional disciple-making church. And that's when we decided that we need to rebuild our foundation when it comes to being and making disciples at home and at work. And that's when we started to come back to making our faith authentic, making it relevant both at home and in the marketplace. Whether our workplaces is, whether it's our workplace, our schools, our campuses, or our neighborhoods. And over the last two weeks, we have been talking about faith at home. And the whole discipleship conference is also focused the uh, last two weeks, we've been talking about faith at work, actually. And uh, even our discipleship conference is focused on that. But this morning, we're going to turn our attention now to faith at home. Now, it is common knowledge that the institution of marriage and family has been under attack for some time. When we start seeing articles with titles like Saving the Family, Reclaiming the Family, you know that things are not what it should be in the family front. How many of you agree? And those are the kind of, of articles that go viral on the internet. And having heard many, many stories of marriage breakdowns across the world, I realize that it's often rooted in the fact that couples do not know what it takes to make their relationships work. We do not start off with our marriage on a strong biblical foundation. And by the time we realize that our marriages are in trouble, it is already at a crisis stage. And on top of that, you and I would agree, right? We do live in a consumeristic age in which people are not used to mending things, right? This is what we do today. If something does not work, it is easier, it is more convenient to just buy a new one. Isn't that true? You know, if, 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 with this throwaway mentality that people develop over time, if our marriage is not doing well, we just shake it a bit. Uh, we might uh, just uh, restart it once or twice 
But if it still don't work, we just Google and find out what other people say about it. If, still, if things still don't improve, we just throw away our marriage and then we start a new one. And our thinking is this, if the relationship is no longer fulfilling, then why don't we just get out? If the relationship is no longer working, if there's no more love, then why go on? And then we forget that even though our marriages may be made in heaven, it still needs to be maintained on earth. Is that right? Your marriage, my marriage can be made in heaven, but it still needs to be maintained on earth. And therefore, we need to go back to the best manual. This is the maker's manual. How many of you amen that? This is the maker's manual. It is the best manual for marriage, for family, the Bible. And we allow it to inform us of what it takes to build strong biblical foundations for our marriage and for our families. So this morning, what I'd like to do is to take you to two Psalms that appeared side by side. For, for, I've been reading the Psalms for years, but I've never seen this. But there are two Psalms that appeared side by side that actually together, they paint a picture of the family for us in four stages. And even though I'm going to be talking about family, young people, don't, uh, you may not be married yet, but don't, don't, don't switch me off because I think we can learn from the wisdom of the Bible and we prepare ourselves for the future. I'm going to take you to two Psalms, Psalms 127 and Psalms 128. They come side by side. And here's a little backdrop to this, okay? These two Psalms, if you go to Psalms 127 and Psalms 128, you will notice this, that at the top, there's a, a phrase that goes like this, the song of ascent, right? The song of ascent, which means that these two Psalms are actually part of the songs of ascent recorded for us in Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, right? You look at a series of Psalms 120 to 134, there's the song of ascent, the song of ascent. And basically, this is a series of psalms that the Israelites would sing as they make their way to the temple of the Lord during the feast days. They go up there and they, um, they sing these songs as they make their way to the temple. And you will understand that the Israelites would go to worship during the feast days. They go up to the temple together. They would go as families. And therefore, it's not su surprising that they would be singing about how the Lord has blessed their families as they go, as they prepare themselves to worship the Lord. And that's why these Psalms, 127, 128, is very relevant as we talk about faith at home. Now, I know that not all of us are married or are raising children at this stage, but I believe the wisdom of the Bible is meaningful, uh, even for those who are single but preparing for marriage or those who may not have children but you're hoping to become parents, there's wisdom here for all of us. So I want to encourage you to open your hearts and you receive from the Word and the Spirit this morning. So if you go with me now to Psalms 127, I'm going to start reading from there into 128. Listen to this beautiful verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders will labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those that He loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Then Psalms 128 goes on like this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. 
You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine around within your house and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Hallelujah. Father, I pray this morning that you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. I pray that you speak to us, all of us, myself included, that as we seek to do life the way you want us to, we will see the prosperity, we will see the blessings of the Lord upon our lives, uh, right from the start to the end. So we commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Within these two Psalms, you see four stages of family life. And I just want to outline them for you. Stage one is where we lay the right foundation. Lay the right foundation. Stage one. Psalms 127 verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. These are the foundational years when a man and a woman join themselves in marriage and they commit themselves to become one flesh. And listen carefully to me. When you think about this, marriage is a very risky business. You know, the, the, this, the, they enter this risky business of actually living a life of full disclosure with another person. Have you ever thought about that? How risky marriage is because when we get together as husband and wife, you know what we are doing? We are literally committing ourselves to live a life of full disclosure. Uh, you think about that. Apart from God, there is no other person on earth where we live in, at such a level of intimacy. Is that true? There is no other person on earth where we live with such intimacy, where there are no secrets, where there is nothing hidden. And towards this one person, are we fully naked in every sense of the word? It's not just physical nakedness, it's emotional nakedness. How, do you agree? Everything about me, my wife knows. Everything about my wife, I know. It's a risky business. How many of you were amen there? <laughs> Actually, it is a risky business. Uh, Stanley Howard I think his name was, he made this amazing statement. And when I first read it, I thought, how true. He, he goes like this. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. <laughs> or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means that we are not the same person after we entered it. And then he said, the primary problem is this, learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married to. <laughs> now, mo most married couples who have passed their honeymoon stage will know that there's a ring of realism to this. I think so. Marriage actually changes us. Let's be realistic about this. Having kids can change us. A career transition can change us. Aging, just aging, just growing older can change us. Life itself changes us. Hidden fault lines that is in my life, my wife never know until we get married. 
And then now those hidden fault lines are exposed, you know, when the, when the wedding party is over, when the honeymoon period is over, the real marriage begins. Arthur just about finding out that now. <laughs> the real marriage begins. And this is why we don't dare to start our marriage without laying a strong foundation based on who God is and what God says. This is the maker's handbook. He made us and He knows us best. And this book will inform us of the end goal in marriage, which, by the way, may not just be about having a soulmate that can help us fulfill all of our dreams and aspirations. Can I challenge your perspective a little bit? I think marriage is not just about finding a helper who can enable us to reach all of our goals in life. I don't think it's just about showcasing the hunk of a man, even if he has handsome as haram, you know, or, or the beauty of a woman as beautiful as Yinga, you know, that you, you have captured for life. And now I can showcase this partner to the whole world. I think it's more than that. What if, as someone said, what if marriage is not about my happiness, but it's about my holiness? What if marriage is not just about my satisfaction, but it is about my sanctification? You know, what if marriage is ultimately about having a spiritual friendship that will help us grow towards Christ's likeness? What is it? Marriage is about helping each other to grow out of our sins and our character flaws so that we can become more like Jesus. Marriage is where two persons can really lift out Ephesians 4.15. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is Christ, who is the head that is Christ. Who else but my spouse would know me true and true. Who else but my spouse would know how I spend my time, what I spend my time on, what I spend my money on, what I spend my emotions on? Who else will know me true and true to be able to speak the truth in love to me? Except my spouse. Even your pastors cannot do that for you because they don't know how you spend your time. They don't know what you put all your energy into. Your spouse could well be the one that helped you live out for Ephesians 4.15, where we speak the truth in love one to another so that we can all grow into the fullness of Christ. But you see, until and unless both of us are resolutely committed to being on this discipleship journey as one, it may not happen. And that's the case, we may miss the focus of marriage, then we are not on the same page. This is the biblical foundation that we must build on, brothers and sisters. Unless the Lord builds the house, we all labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord, unless the Lord, in vain, in vain, in vain. And this is what it's all about. Lay that biblical foundation. What's the best foundation to build? Unless the Lord builds the house. The labors, the builders will labor in vain. You know, when the Psalmist wrote this in Psalms 127, he was using word pictures that the Jews fully understand. He was comparing the, the home to a city. And in those days, cities are built by first erecting the walls. Why? Because it keeps the enemies out. 
and after the walls are built, then what will happen is that the priests will then dedicate the walls to the Lord and then the guards begin to walk around the walls and keep watch over the city. And those guards are sometimes called watchmen. And so what the psalmist is saying is that unless the city officials, unless the watchmen depend fully on the Lord and not just the city walls, there are no true security. Unless the Lord builds the house, we, the builders labor in vain. Unless the, the Lord watches over the city, the city is never safe. Are you with me? What a beautiful contrast. And it's so good that our members of parliaments are here. <laughs> Candidates, at least. <laughs> yeah? We all depend on the Lord. And that's how to watch over the city. It reminds me of a story uh, I read about uh, China. You know, in China's history, they spent so much money and the cost of many lives to build the Great Wall of China. For what? Protect the city. You see? And they built the walls so high, no enemy can climb over it. They built it so thick, no enemy can bash through it. They built it so long, no one can walk around it. You see, and then after they finish building the wall at great cost, the Chinese people begin to settle back, you know, in, with a, a sense of security, thinking that their city is safe. But you know what? In, his, in China's history, in the first hundred years after the wall was built, the city was invaded three times. And each time, the enemies did not try and bash down the door. They did not try and climb over the wall. All they needed to do was to bribe the gate, the doorkeeper. Bribe the doorkeeper. He opened the door. They all came in three times. Which tells me one thing, you know. The Chinese people were so busy building their walls that they forgot to teach their children integrity. And the whole thing fell apart. We too can be so busy building our walls of security, be, be, be our careers, our bank accounts, our asset, our business, our qualification, but we neglect our spiritual lives. Twice the psalmist said, unless the Lord, it will be in vain. Unless the Lord, it will be in vain. And the psalmist was declaring that unless the Lord is with us, everything we seek to build in life, be it our marriages, our families, our careers, our studies, our businesses, you know, our wealth will all be in vain. And the point is this, during this all-important foundational years of our marriage, make it your resolute decision. Put Jesus in the centre of your marriage and your family life. Lay that foundation. If not, it can turn out to be an exercise of futility. Then everything is in vain. If the foundations are not strong, Nothing will last. Amen. Lay that foundation. It's not just about having a nice picture we hang on our wall, you know, that echoes the words of Joshua, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's not what we hang on the wall, it's the foundation we lay in our lives. It's about truly making Jesus central in all of our decision making, my friends. It's about God as priority in our life, in our time, in our money. It's about taking reference from God and then giving deference to God in everything. It's about Jesus being Lord and Master of our life and we all say amen to that. And if Jesus is truly Lord, then you know what? The Lord will build the house and He will watch over our city. But if we are too busy building our own walls, guarding our own things, then in our own effort, then God may not be in it. 
I want to challenge all of us here in FCC as we, as we think about building our marriages, our families, and all that, that we, we don't fall into the deception of believing that what we need is a bigger car, a nicer home, a bigger gadget, or a lot more holidays. I don't think that's the key. Or else we'll end up rising early, falling into bed late, toiling, laboring, hoping to find satisfaction in things acquired, but it may turn out to be in vain. We end up being slaves to materialism and chasing the Australian dream, you know, of uh, being able to have a flourishing career with upward mobility, a mortgage-free home, four-wheel drive, you know, two rental properties on negative gearing and a holiday home in Mandurah. You know, that's the Australian dream, you know, but then, then we have no time for God, no time for church, no time for babies even. And interestingly, it is during those initial years of a marriage, that's when we start pursuing this elusive dream and we end up materially rich but relationally poor. We can have beautiful houses but broken homes. But what we really, really need, my friends, is a deep, genuine, healthy connectedness with our families. Dr. James Dobson, uh, focused on the family, once made this statement, I have concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is an insufficient reason for living. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backwards on something more meaningful than the pursuit of homes and lands and machines and stocks and bonds, nor is fame of any lasting benefit. But I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, or an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense. Amen. And why not? You know, and COVID-19 has really done something for us. It exposes, you know, the hidden fault lines in our life and our relationships that has been there for years, but we never have to deal with it because we're all busy traveling and working and all that. But now it's all out there as people are locked up in homes and suddenly it's all out there. And the best thing we can do is to deal with it, own up to it, give ourselves a chance to reboot, to restart and to repent. I tell you honestly, right up to now, I'm still putting the right things in place. My wife and I, we've been married now for... <laughs> 30, 32 years. <laughs> See, I told you I got lots, lots to put together. <laughs> now, my wife and I, we've been married now for 32 years, and we are still going through this marriage for life course right now. It's never too late to do the right thing. I'm 60 years old, and I'm still putting right the foundation. So if I can, you can too. Put some investment into this. If you're willing to let Christ build our house, guard our city, Psalms 127.3 goes on to say, He grants sleep to those He loves. And God will give you the rest that you're looking for because He loves you. Stage one, lay the right foundation. Stage two, here comes the kids, okay? Now you look at Psalms 127, verse 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, and they will not be put to shame when they, when they contend with their opponents in court. If you lay the right foundation in stage one, it will help you prepare for the stressful years in stage two. 
these are the childbearing years. Uh, I think they are wonderful years, but they are physically and financially demanding. And you notice that God actually calls each one of our children a reward. He called them a gift. And children, that's what you are. If you are a child here, that's what you are. The birth of every child is never taken lightly by the Lord. Each child is significant to the Lord. No child is an accident or a mistake. Every single child that is born right here in this hall, you are not a mistake. You are a miracle. And I don't know what kind of family you may come from, but even if your parents did not treat you well, I want you to know that you are precious in the sight of God. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. We are God's workmanship. You are God's handiwork. You know the Greek word for workmanship, handiwork, is the word poema, from where you get the word poem or symphony. We are God's poem. You are God's symphony, lovingly written from His heart. And how many of you will agree? If you are God's workmanship, then you must be a masterpiece. Nobody is born a mistake. Every single baby that is born is a masterpiece of God. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. But what are good works? Good works is not just any good thing that comes along. Good works are that which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, they are works that God has already called you, wired you, and actually gifted you to do. And that is my job as a parent. Listen, parents, please hear me out. Children, the children that you have in your home right now, they are not dumped on you by God but they are lovingly placed there in your quiver so that you can steward them, so that you can curate them to fulfill their God-given destinies and callings. Like arrows in the hands of a master craftsman, our job is to shape them, polish them, sharpen them, and then you keep them in the quiver. And in the fullness of time, the divine archer, the great creator, he is going to pull them out of the quiver and he's going to put them to his bow and he's going to send them into their destiny. And I guarantee you when the divine archer take our children out of the quiver and release them, they will hit the bullseye and they will fulfill what God wants them to do. And that's why the psalmist said, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in court. And parents, this is what we are doing we're not just earning to feed them. <laughs> no, we are actually shaping their lives for the future. Have you heard the story about a priest who walked past the construction site and he saw three bricklayers that were doing their job, right? So he walked up to them and he asked them, hey, what are you guys doing? The first bricklayer responded this way, I'm laying bricks, lah. can't you see? The second guy said, I'm building a wall. The third guy said, I'm raising a cathedral. Same things they are doing, but totally different perspective. I'm, what will it be for you as parents? I'm not just working to feed my family. 
I'm not just raising kids, but I'm shaping young lives for their destiny. That's what we do as parents. We steward them, we curate them, and we shape them, and then we release them. I see myself as God's stewards to shape the lives of our children in the future. And then you can take us into stage three. If you do stage one well, which is foundational, that's why it takes so long to lay it, and then you do stage two, it's a, almost a natural progression, and that will take us into stage three. You do stage two well, we will begin to enjoy their growing up years. So you go to Psalms 128 now, and you read this. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings, prosperity will be yours. Your wife is like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing of the man who fears the Lord. Now you enter into a third phase. Now you're raising um, teenagers and young adults now. Now, these are years that it's not so physically demanding, but I think it's emotionally draining. Okay, now that I've been through all these four stages, I can tell you that stage three is when you, things begin to get a little bit more emotionally challenging. Your cute little babies have now grown into argumentative teenagers and independence smarter than you, young adults. Okay, and we now got to deal with that. Now you can no longer command them, you have to converse with them. Okay, you don't nag them, you negotiate with them. You don't yell, you tell. <laughs> so you don't insist at this point, you release. You know, you, we move from top down to come alongside them. We are now becoming friends and confidantes. I'm raising young adults now in their 20s and I can no longer command them. I converse with them. I cannot yell. You yell, you just lost the plot. You tell nicely. <laughs> we negotiate now. They have, we are becoming friends and confidantes. And the picture that the psalmist painted in Psalms 128 verse 1 to 4, you notice, it's a very blissful one where we are sitting around the table eating. We are in a stage of bliss and happiness. Now, this is true, my friends, if we have done the first two stages well. We lay that foundation right. We lay a strong foundation for our marriage with Christ in the centre. We see our children as gifts from the Lord, not a result of accidents. We see them as God's masterpieces so that we curate them, we steward them, and they are made ready to fulfil God's calling in their life. Your wife becomes like a fruitful vine within the house. Your children all leave shoots around the table. What a picture of family bliss. A family that is gathered around the dinner table, enjoying each other's company and friendship. My friends, that is true prosperity. Isn't it? That's true prosperity. My family now has reached this point where there is nothing I enjoy more and nothing my wife enjoys more than to have all of our kids come back for a meal. The more, the merrier. I hope my kids that are listening Catch the, the hint. The bigger, the better, okay? As far as our family is concerned. And, you know, but has the journey always been easy? Of course not. Along the way, we all make many mistakes. We have many forgiveness to ask for, many forgiveness to render. Uh, grace has to be extended all the time. Apologies have to be made and to receive. We do the best that we can, but in the end, we know our children is going to make their own choices in life. One thing I can tell you as parents, if I can, now that I've reached this stage, uh, give you a piece of advice. You know, when our children turn out well, don't take too much credit for it. 
But when our children don't turn, don't turn out that well, we also need not take all the blame. But we can water, we can sow, but it is God who brings the increase. My job is to sow, is to water, is to nurture and to curate and to do all those things. And then I trust my, my children to make good decisions. The best advice I can give you about having, having raised three young adults now is for us as parents, we model authenticity for our children. Whatever our weaknesses may be, we must be real and we show our children that we are not perfect, but we are prepared ourselves to learn and to change. And after counselling families for so, for in crisis for, for so many years, I noticed uh, that there are two extremes you know, that often lead to this. One is when we are too liberal and too permissive. The other is when we are too inflexible and too legalistic. It gives rise to raising teenagers and young adults that, that, that are rebellious as a result. Either you're too liberal or we are too legalistic. But somewhere we find the, the tension to be able to speak the truth in love. And then for us as children, I would say never, never respond in re re rebellion and, and spite because it will only lead to emotional distancing. We are not always right, but we must always fear God and walk according to His ways. And hopefully both parents and children will do the same and that will take us to stage four, the final stage where we can be blessed to the end. Psalms 128 verse 5 and 6 ends all beautifully with this. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. We come to that point where our children grow up and they begin to leave the nest. And very soon, you'll find the nest is empty. I'm coming to the stage now, you know, where the noise disappears. Quietness returns to the house. And now my house seems to be neat most of the time. The, my car park has got plenty of space. It's going back to the beginning. How does it feel to have an emptiness? The psalmist says that you can actually be blessed. If we have done the first three stages, we can be happy, satisfied and fulfilled. Lots of happy memories you've created for our family over the years. And then you can have healthy relationships with grown-up children and their children. And the family is blessed. And you know what? When the family is blessed, the city will be blessed too. Psalms 128.5 says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You know what? The, the psalmist declares that Jerusalem will be a better place. I think we too can stand up and declare that Perth will be a better place because our families are healthy. And when you release healthy, happy young adults into our society, the city will be blessed. And this city will become a better place to live. Amen. And the result will be a city in shalom. And we are told to seek the shalom of our city, seek the peace and the welfare of our city. And as the family goes, so goes the nation. The health of our families will determine the health of our city. Strong marriages lead to stable families. Stable families lead to healthy churches. Healthy churches can lead to transform nation. 
in Psalms 128 verse 6 then says, May you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Have you seen these four stages? I think we can, I, we can actually see this come to pass in our life. But where is a theological anchor? What is it that links all this together? If I can give you one theological anchor, it would be this. All of this is rooted on one thing and one thing only. And this thing, you know what that is? It's the fear of the Lord. The one thing that will get all of us to do this, to lay the foundations right, to do all these things, is rooted in one thing, is the fear of God. Do we fear the Lord? If we fear God and we take Him seriously, we will lay a foundation. We will do these things that He mapped out for us. And where does the fear of God begins? I think it begins in holy repentance. It's rooted in holy repentance. And you know, this morning, I painted for all of us a mural, if you like, depicting the four stages of family life. If we start well, we can also finish well. But some of us may be asking, you know, Pastor, what if I did not? What if I haven't done this? I have good, I have good news for you. The good news I have for you is this, that we serve a God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, that in Christ, it is never too early to start right. It is never too late to start now. It's never too early to start right. It's never too late to start now. You see, we can put aside our pride, our own ego and our own rights and we just admit that we have messed up. We are not always who we ought to be. We have not always done what we ought to do. Then we come before this God of grace and we cry out to Him, forgive us, restore us. Give us the grace to forgive, the faith to believe and the ability to let go and then help us to start again. Give us a fresh start. Restore to us the years that the locusts have eaten and be merciful to us. We can repent, reboot, and we can restart. You know, and you know, I think this is the cry of our, all of our hearts this morning, that we can come to Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, let Him embrace us and grant us the grace to fight for our marriages and to reconnect with our children and to reclaim our families. It's never too early to start right. It's never too late to start now. We all say amen to that, isn't it? Never too late to start now. Amen.